0: Acts chapter 1 is a big chapter for people in our churches, uh, the signs of God. It's a huge chapter. A lot of people in the A.G. love this chapter, and this has been an important one for us, especially the verses we're going to focus on this morning. It's been a huge, huge thing, and to be honest with you, it is an awesome chapter. Really, the whole book of Acts is an awesome book, right? I love the book of Acts. It's a great story. It's a great telling of what God did through people who were just like you and just like me to literally plant the church, not our church, not a couple churches, but plant the big C church and make a massive difference around the world. What an awesome story the book of Acts is. It's awesome today. So, again, go there. If you could, the stage is set. This is after. This is this all kind of starts after Jesus' uh, crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. That's the stage around this around this, this chapter and this beginning of this book. the the the, the Roman leaders, the people of uh, the, the the leaders of the country, they were finally rid of this Jesus movement, right? They were tired of it. They had done what they thought they could do. They killed off the leader. They got rid of it. It was now finished, right? We find Jesus' uh, you know, disciples and some of, his, some of his followers, we find them holed up in a house, scared out of their minds, basically, right? I mean, after this happened, that's what they were. And Now, to be honest with you, I get what they're trying to do here. That, that's, this is a little nerve-wracking, isn't it? I mean, here they are, they're, they, they're following Jesus, they're his people, they were seen with them. they were around him, they were known by people to be his followers. They just killed Jesus. Now what's going to happen to us, right? I mean, this is a tough time to be a believer. They're holed up in this place. They're stuck there, and Jesus starts appearing to people. What a cool thing that happens. Jesus appears to Simon Peter, Thomas, and a few other disciples next to the Sea of Galilee. We find here Jesus asks them a question. They're fishing out there. He asks a question that my dad used to ask when we weren't catching any fish. He'd say, guys, have you caught any fish yet? Again, that's what you do when you don't have any caught any fish, right? You ask who else is catching fish and you want to go find their spot so they can catch fish from their spot? That's what Jesus says, but that's not why he asked that question. These guys were about to have the fishing day of their life, right? You know, the Bible says, and you can find the, the account of this in uh, John chapter 21... Where these guys had so much fish that they could not pull it all in their nets. It was an amazing thing. I mean, the reality here is this these guys, it was gonna be an amazing situation. And we'll find, and, and Jesus comes, and he, he ministers, he, he works, he eats meals, he asks Thomas to feel the wound in his sides and prove that this was, in fact, the resurrected Jesus. But not just an idea, not just a ghost, but the real thing. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians, 20, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul points back to a moment where 500 people gathered to hear the resurrected Jesus teach. So many people saw him after his resurrection and witnessed what happened. What an exciting time, what an awesome time. Man, it would have been amazing to be there and see this. So, in, the, in this stage right here, these geniuses that are Jesus' followers asked this question in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And it says right here, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Let's pause there for a moment. This is pre-filled with the spirits, and it shows. It shows that this is a moment here where these guys didn't get. In. Now, remember, remember Rocky and Bullwinkle? The, the cartoons back in the 60s. Uh, I wasn't alive back in the 60s, but when I was a kid, I got a picture of them up here today. Uh, this is Rocky and Bullwinkle. When I was a kid, Rocky and Bullwinkle were on on Saturday mornings on reruns, and I loved Rocky and Bullwinkle. They were awesome. I love getting I soul to hear the song. And actually, when I was preparing for this message and had this idea, I was watching YouTube cartoons and I got a little lost in that because I loved Rocky and Bullwinkle. The song came out as amazing because it's always on now. If you don't know, what a good cartoon is, go back and check out uh, YouTube. You'll find one right there. But uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Rocky was the smart squirrel. He was kind of the leader of the two. He was smart. He, was, he could fly around. He's pretty amazing. And Bullwinkle was, let's just say Bullwinkle was a little slow, right? You know, and he just, the, you know, I can't do his voice. But, uh, you know, Rocky, Bullwinkle was a little slow sometimes. These guys are Bullwinkle, Okay. They're, these guys are a bullwinkle. These guys are asking Jesus a question. In verse 6 Jesus, are you finally going to come back and restore the nation of Israel and do things right? Again, we've heard this before. This was a common question people asked Jesus throughout his life Are you going to restore the nation of Israel? It's pre filled and it shows. You see, this is what shows here in this place that they, like you and like me, oftentimes had a hard time thinking bigger and thinking like Jesus thought. They thought, Jesus, are you going to make the world come and obey our dietary codes and become just like us, Jews? Is that what's going to happen? And Jesus, of course, says, no, that's going to be a lot different. It's going to be, I love how the Bible tells it how it is. It pulls no punches, right? Right? Jesus, this question comes, and what happens so often times in this, in this situation here is Jesus tells it how it is people didn't always quite get. It. This is one of those times. These guys are saying, Jesus, how can, are you going to finally make our nation and our people great? And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. And the irony of this is this, is that Jesus had a conversation with a Samaritan woman uh, not too long before this. And these guys would have known about this exchange with a Samaritan woman. You know the story. She was the late woman at the well. And she was talking about, in John 4, about a messiah. That was going to come and going to do great things in their nation. It was a big deal to them. And so she was talking about this. She 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 didn't know. She was talking to the Messiah. And of course, the Messiah Jesus told her. She asked a question. She said, Jesus, you know, the, the Jews believe that we have to worship in Jerusalem. And he said, no, lady. She, he said, um, the, a, a day is coming when it won't matter if you worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain or where you worship. It is going to be important that you worship God in spirit and truth. What he's saying there is he's saying this. What I am going to do is going to be much bigger than our little part of the world. It's going to be huge. Be mind blowing, and this is how it was. Now, in their defense, the disciples. They didn't think globally because they didn't know what the globe was, right? They didn't have, you know, they didn't have Mr. Brown's fifth grade uh, 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 j- 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 geography class looked like I had, and we had to learn about the globe. The, these guys, the globe was, well, not a globe. It was flat. It was small. It wasn't much there. And so Jesus said, you are going to do something great around the world. That's what he called them to. But they didn't get this because they didn't know this yet. So Jesus doesn't quite unpack this all yet. And so, you know, it's, it's, I want to pause for a minute today because it's far too easy for us to be in the same boat, isn't it? It's easy for us to think about our world and our life and us first, me first. Jesus was freeing them from a me first attitude where he said, Man, Jesus, are you going to do this great thing in our nation, in our religion, in our kingdom? Is that what you're going to do? He was trying to free them from that, the me first attitude, and change them to a new perspective. Not me first, but others first. Now for this to happen, it was going to take a miracle, right? It was going to take a miracle. This wasn't just going to happen. It, it, this, 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 this took that, and in this point right here, this is pre-indwelling. It shows in their misunderstanding of this, the mission. And look at verse 7, his response to their question. He said this, it's kind of interesting, but it gives us a great deal of comfort. When he, said, he said to them, it's not for you to, to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's an interesting response to what they said, isn't it? That's interesting why he would say that thing to their question. You know, this, this passage brings me a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of comfort in this day and age, doesn't it? you watch the news, you watch things going on around us, we know that our world is turbulent. Things are happening, things are changing, things are different. We have the rise and fall of nations every single day. I mean, it's a crazy time to live. And there has never been a time when God is not in control and able. God is is not out of control here. I love this verse, it's so simple. You don't have to dig around it. It's just all right here. He knows what's going. He has always known what's going to happen. You get a great deal of comfort from this in our world of Ebola and hurricanes and war and all these things that God has this. And God, and what He wanted them to see here is that God has a plan in place. God knows the seasons, God knows the times. And to come face to face with that reality. And, and sometimes it's pleasant, but it's sometimes it's not. And that's not the issue. The issue is God is in control and God has a plan. That's what he was showing them in this case. Because the next verse is the key verse for this, this ideal and this exchange. Verse 8, where it says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. I want to read it to a few guys again today. Emphasize a little differently, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what? Sitting here today, knowing the truth, having a chance to know Jesus, we need and needed this verse to happen. We needed this. You know Why? Because these guys were not the sharpest tools in the drawer, right? These guys were not always the smartest guys. These guys were not the ones, I could say that knowing that someday I'm going to give these guys a hug in heaven. I'm going to say, knucklehead, what were you thinking sometimes? No, we, we, we know that these guys were not always the most brilliant guys, were they? Jesus talks in, in, in parables, and then time after time, they, they say, Jesus, what are we talking about? We didn't, we didn't quite get that. And he says... Are you so dull? He goes back and starts to explain things. We know that there's a, there's a moment in time when Jesus was talking about being the least in the kingdom and being servants and, and all these kind of things. It's one of the most ironic stories in the Bible. Jesus is teaching about lowliness and humility and a fight breaks out among these guys on who is going to be the greatest. That's ironic to me. That's amazing. These guys were the ones who were going to take this message to the world. We need Acts chapter 1, verse 8 to happen, or we are not sitting in this room today. Why? Because it's not just what they said, it's not just what they were. It was they needed something else to happen to change them and to make them and to mold them to become different people. The idea of going to the ends of the earth is hinging on these men doing something without a touch from God, without a miracle. You and I are in big trouble. I like being a Christian. I like being a believer. I like knowing the word of God. I like knowing who Jesus is. And you know what? These guys probably didn't have it by themselves. They needed a say they needed something to happen, and so if we had time if we could walk through acts, especially chapter two and then on and on, we see some incredible things happen. we see some amazing things happen when the Holy Spirit comes in chapter two, everything becomes different. We can find two things that happen as a result of Acts 1-8 happening in these people's lives. The first thing we see happening is we see an internal transformation of these guys. These guys were not just made a decision to be better people. They were transformed internally. They were different. You see guys who who were cowards before, no longer cowards. You see Peter who denied Christ. Peter, who, you know, said, I don't know Jesus, I don't know who he is, and he denied him three times. You see this exact same guy in Acts chapter 2 and on, who now is standing up and preaching the message right in the very places that he denied Christ. That is amazing. Just that short time, the transformation that happened in the life of Peter. You see a, a disciples who were arguing over who was the greatest and who was the best and who was the leader and who was this and who was that. These same guys, now in the book of Acts, these guys are selling all they have and giving what they have to the poor and ensuring that everybody in the church is taken care of. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. And that is an amazing miracle because we know these guys in the rest of the book, don't we? Not always the sharpest tools in the drawer. Something had to happen. Something had to change their lives. They became new. They became different. They became transformed when the Spirit was given. Number two way we see the Holy Spirit coming is we see or the the, the proof of that is we see him coming in power. We see here that power accompanies these guys when they minister. Again, read the, 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 the book, read the, the Acts, read the, what happens here. And someday I want to do a, a series on the book of Acts. It's fascinating. It's amazing. It's how the churches should be. The, the, the book of Acts, the word stands for the Acts of the Apostles. It's what they did. It's a testimony of how they lived and what they did. It's an amazing thing. You see power all the time when they're walking and doing things, Right? people being set free, people being delivered, people being healed, people being transformed. You see some amazing things happen. Two things come as a result of Acts 1-8 happening, people's lives transformed and power that accompanies them. I want to pause for a moment today and turn this around and look in the mirror in my own personal life, in the life of Steve Royalty. Is this what happens in my life? I look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and say, well, and, and, and so on and so forth. And say, well, that's what's happening in my life too. And how about you and how about me and how about us? Is this happening in our lives? Is this happening in our church? This is not meant to be a, a condemnation or that kind of stuff. This is meant to be a wake-up call and a challenge. And folks, God's called us to this kind of life. A life that's where the Holy Spirit comes and transforms us and makes us and takes us from me first to other center that takes us from a life of powerlessness and a life of, of, of boredom and this and that and transforms us and changes us. and now power accompanies us. That's what the word speaks. There are many today that say, well, this is not how God still works and not how God still moves. And I want to ask that person, where in the Bible does it say it stopped? It doesn't say it. The onus falls on me and my children, saying, God, I want want this in my life. Their success hinged on these two things. It hinged on that. Again, these guys heard the greatest teaching in the world, didn't they? They heard Jesus teach day in and day out. There is no better teaching than Jesus there's no better relationship. There's no better discipleship. There's nothing better than what they had experienced for the last three and a half years. And yet, they're still asking questions like they did in Acts 1-6, right? They, you, know, they, you know, you can still, well, teaching is a great thing. And it is a great thing. It's important. It's valuable because it's why I have a job. No, I'm just kidding. No, it, the teaching is, is valuable and important, but it's not everything. It's not the thing that's going to make us effective, Right? These guys needed a transformation. That transformation produced power. Their, their success hinged on these two things. You know, I sometimes think in my own personal life that I can do this Christian life without those two things. I think oh, I can function and do things pretty well. And to be honest with you, I probably can. I can make things happen. I can do some things in my life. I can do some things in my ministry without God. Sure I can. But the, the reality is this, is that we desperately, I desperately need a transformation and a turn around that, that, and, and, and with power that accompanies our lives. If we're going to be effective, what it says right here, effective witnesses to the utter ends of the earth. He said, you'll be my witnesses. That's a profound statement. I mean... Think about this for a second. God entrusted his message to the world of guys not real bright, not real smart. We've that. He 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 entrusted us with that. He put that in us. Matt, think about that. God knows and we knew that there's something that had to happen for us to really, in essence, be his witnesses. Now, the question here is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be my witnesses? Well, I know it's not. It's not to tell people about life from the Christian perspective me illustrate this morning. A few weeks ago, I was uh, sitting in in Caribou Coffee here in town, as I often do uh, during the week, and I was preparing a message, and 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 I love having the the people walking around and talking. It just makes it much easier for me to to concentrate. I was there, and I was preparing, and I couldn't help but hear behind me a conversation happening between two ladies. One, now again, to be fair, I don't know these ladies. I don't know their stories, so I I can't say that, but I've heard enough in my life to know Probably what's happening here. One lady sounds like a strong believer, and the other lady sounds like she's not a believer. And they are going back and forth. And I applaud this lady for having this conversation, this believer lady. Conversation, but they're going back and forth. But mostly, it's the Christian lady that's talking to the non-believer lady. And they're talking about homosexuality, a big big issue. And they're talking about this. And, and this, this, this Christian lady keeps saying, well, from the Christian perspective, it's this. And I must have heard her say it from the Christian perspective a hundred times, and it wasn't working. This lady was not getting it. She was not buying it. She was arguing, and she was going back and forth about what's going on. All this lady would say, well, from the Christian perspective, it says this, and says that, and says this, and says that. That was her idea. That was her way. And, and, and to be honest with you, I agreed with Moses Lay's points and, and ideals. we right. She was correct. The problem came was that she, if, 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 if our, our idea of sharing the gospel is just from the Christian perspective, we're doing it wrong. We're missing the mark. We're missing what's going on. The Christian perspective stops short of what really produces change in a person's life. The good news is not the Christian perspective. The Christian perspective never saved anyone from sin. You know what did? Jesus, You know what has the Holy Spirit's work in our lives to make us a testimony, to make us a witness to the world. To show us what the, to show the world what's going on. And I love in Exodus 33, Moses refused to go forward without the presence of God leading him. He refused. He said, God, I'm not going forward until you lead me by your presence. I want you to minister and I want you to work. What if we spent more time connecting people with Jesus and the Holy Spirit rather than the Christian perspective? Okay, so I know what the Christians believe and I know what they are and it's good, it's fine, it's important, but yet what transforms a life is Jesus Christ. What transforms a life is him. And I and we struggle sometimes. When we miss that ideal that it's him. It's him who brings power. It's him who brings the transformation in us. And then that produces in us the idea to be his witnesses. The good news is that Jesus saves people from a life of sin and the junk that comes from that. Jesus did. Jesus has. Jesus does. Jesus first. Again, the truth I want to share with you: If Jesus and His power isn't central to any argument we have uh, that we have for Christianity, we are doing it wrong. What if that lady would have said, "I know what the, what the I know she I know you know what the Christians already say, and they believe in what they have, but let me tell you about how Jesus has changed my life." Let me tell you. Instead of arguing about you know homosexuality, all this kind of stuff, let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. And I'll tell you, church, what happens so often is we lead with Jesus and lead with His power. All those other things come into play, and then people say, "Man, what is your perspective on this?" Well, then we've bought the chance to share it, and then we do it, and that power transforms when we lead with Jesus. We show them Jesus and him, and he is first and foremost above all else and above all everything else. It's him. These guys needed the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to transform them, and then would happen as they would be my witnesses. That's what the word says. Now, what does this mean here today? When I was in Kalamazoo, Michigan, we lived on a major busy road. It was crazy. It was 24 hours a day. And there was always traffic. There was always people going out. It was the second busiest road in the Kellynch metropolitan area. It was a four lane, a five lane road. It was crazy all the time. Always loud. Always cars, day in and day out. Being on this road made us uh, see a lot of interesting things. Remember, one time uh, this guy had uh, pulled off the freeway 94, where it was right by our house, and pulled off and smashed his car into a tree across the road from our house. The guy ran across this road and uh, was running through our backyard. And I remember uh, being up in the middle of the night and and looking out the back of our yard, (laughs) seeing the cops chase a guy through my yard. I was like, "This is crazy. What? Where have I I moved to? This is nuts." But usually it's a pretty safe place. But because of our position as people on this busy road, it made us oftentimes be witnesses of certain things that happens. One day, I was out. it was a nice day. I think it was last year. I was outside working on out my front yard. I was raking or something. And uh, right in front of me, like I mean, from here to from I mean, from here to, to you guys in the front row, right there, this car rear-ended another car and pretty much messed it up pretty good. And so I, I jumped a little bit because it was startling; it was right in front of me. And so and I kind of jumped back a little bit and went over, made sure everybody was okay. Not sure what I would have done if they weren't okay, but I just made sure they were okay, and they were fine. And, and the cops came, and I gave my testimony and told what happened because I was a witness to this accident. My position, being on this road, made me a witness. Sometimes we think witnessing, we think, you know, talking about Jesus is just our talking or just sharing our faith, which certainly it is. But what Jesus here is doing, he is is introducing a legal term to these folks that, that described an expert or someone who saw something that can add validity or defense to the charges in a trial. Now here's another truth I want you to think about hard this morning. Here's the truth. You can't witness what you have no experience in. You can't witness what you have no experience in. Your Christianity is not merely a thing you believe It's not merely a thing that you've heard a lot of great teaching, and now I'm going to do this this thing. That's not the full extent of of our walks with Christ. It's deeper than that. It's fuller than that. You can't witness what you have no experience in. It's a supernatural transaction that produces transformation in our lives. Again, you can hear a lot of good teaching the disciples did, and yet still be unchanged. You can think it's a good idea, but still be untransformed. That's where these guys were. That was their pre-filled life. That was their life BC before Christ. They needed this to happen. My question for you today, church, is what is your life a witness to? What is your life, what is my life? What do I witnessing? What is the witness in my life? Is my witness a bunch of good ideas, a bunch of nice nice truths, a bunch of nice things? Or is my witness go deeper than that? These disciples needed this to happen, and so do we. We need deeper. We need stronger, and we need Jesus to do it in our lives. How do you know you're missing it? Look at your life. Look at your fruit in your life. If you're a spiritual weirdo, there's probably a problem. If you have no care for the lost, it's a problem. If you have no power, problem. If you have no joy, problem. If you have no faith, problem. Look at Galatians chapter 5. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what's produced in the life of a believer who knows and walks with Christ. If those things aren't happening in our lives, we've got to step back and say, God, transform me. Make me. Lord, change me. I want to be what you want me to be in my life the challenging thought are people witnessing Jesus' power and transformation based on my and your existence. Again, living according to their Christian ideals is not the answer. Anyone can do that and do hard and do it well, but still be miserable, right? Look at all the Christians out there that, you know, are, are, are following God and doing this the, right, the right thing, but yet there's frowns on their faces, they're angry, they're upset, you know, they're whatever else, they're, they're the most argumentative people in the world, they're all these kind of things. Why? I wonder if it's because we have not let God transform us. We believe he's in our our mind, we we agree in our minds, we are pre-filled people, but yet we have not been filled and transformed and then go out and live in power and authority in the world around us. That is what started the Acts chapter 1 church. That's how it happened, it's where it all came from, and that's where we need to be in our lives. We, like they, are dependent on the power from the Holy Spirit to live effectively These men walked with Jesus. These men knew him. They watched him obey the law perfectly. They watched him live. They watched him die. They watched him do all these things. And yet, they still needed this experience to be transformed and then be my witnesses to to, to Jujina, Samaria, and other, other most parts of the world. Jesus said, when when God sees you, he sees me. Your confidence is not in you because because we have established your failures. We know those things. Your confidence is in Jesus Christ and is me. I want us to do some soul searching this morning again. There's freedom in coming to understand that part of the Christian life. You know what? You can't save anyone. You can't. You by yourself can't save anyone. I've heard people, a lot of people in my life, say, Man, I gotta save this person. I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And I say, You can't save them. You can't do enough to convince and to challenge them to come to Jesus. You just can't do that. You can't save anybody. That's a freeing thought because who, what, what you can't do, Jesus Christ can do in you and do through you when you let him transform your life. I want people, when they look at me, when they talk to me, when they interact with me, when they see me, when they're everything else, they see a person who's been transformed. You know what? This is a reality. Is that if you knew, when well, you guys did know me, you knew me before the time I was really transformed. Guess what? God is pretty awesome, Right? God's pretty amazing because God tra- can transform us. That is a testimony I want people to have about me and my life and our church. You have been transformed. And then you'll be my witnesses throughout Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But The witnessing starts. You can't witness what you haven't yet experienced. Where does it start this morning? It starts here. It starts with art, With where it all should always start. It starts we stop and we pray and we ask God to minister. A long time ago, I remember being in a service and I was at the front in the altar and God was just ministering. And I oftentimes pray, God, I want to have more of you. And I mentioned this just a little bit this morning and it's been really stirring in my heart this last week and, and such. And God, I want to have more of you. I want to have more of you and, and this and that. And God spoke to me and said, Steve, stop praying that way. Listen, I want you to pray, Lord, I want you to have more of me. What if we prayed like that and meant it and believed it? God, I want you to have more of me. I want when people look at me and see me, not to see me, but or to see you, to see you living in me and living through me, Jesus. That's what I want. What I want you to have more of me. That's why I want to kind of push us to wrap our heads around this. What's so cool What God's doing here. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria to the other ends of the earth. These guys are not world travelers, okay? These guys don't have what we have nowadays. They're not getting on planes and flying from here to there. That's not what they're doing. These guys live a very small, very little world, but yet these guys somehow are going to take this message to the other ends of the world. How is this going to happen? See, for them, again, if they would have seen this message, they would have said, well, that's not such a big deal. I mean, we pretty much been to the ends of other parts of the world. They didn't get this yet. It's much bigger than them. Look what God has done. God's taken this rag group of, of misfits that could never have imagined the reach of the gospel that we see today. Why? you wit- You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. That's how it works. That's the exchange. That's where it goes. And it cannot be any different than that. And what's so cool about this is that's the greatest news ever, isn't it? I sometimes get I struggle sometimes to string my faith I'm not doing it like this. I'm not doing it where I'm first witnessing and showing the power of God in my life. It's, it's a hard thing sometimes when we work and work and work. I gotta save this person. I gotta save that person. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. No, what God's called us to do is be faithful, and it will be transformed, and then it's amazing and incredible and awesome how people are changed by the power and the presence of Jesus, and not my words and not your words. Now, words are important. Words are valuable. Don't ever think I'm saying, you won't, we don't share our faith and talk about our faith. Don't ever think I'm saying, oh, it doesn't matter. Just live your life and people will just come to you. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. But we can't forget the progression of how it works here. He's called us to be transformed. He's called us to come to him and be changed and allow him to minister in our lives. Then comes the witness to the uttermost parts of the world. And here's where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. Folks, church, now it's our turn. It's our turn. It's our turn to take what the disciples started, to take the life they showed us, to take the life that Acts talks about and documents and sees. It's now our turn to take that same life to the world around us. We can look back in Genesis chapter 12 and, God, hear, and hear God tell Abraham, I'm going to, to save from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. That's what I'm going to do. I'm doing it. I'm reconciling people to myself. We can, see, we can, we can look at the, at the prophet Isaiah and see the nations will gather and be glad. What an amazing thing. And it's, it starts with the coming of Jesus and changing us and making us and molding us. And the message has been entrusted to us, and the command hasn't changed. Go to Jerusalem, to Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Band, if you could come up this morning and prepare to wait and lead us in worship here for a few moments today. I want to ask you one more thought, a lot of thoughts this morning. I want to ask you guys today one more thought about this, this whole ideal, about this whole message this whole mentality this morning. It's our turn. It's our chance to go and to share. It's our chance. We've been entrusted with the gospel. The command hasn't changed. It's us. Our chance right now. My question for you this morning is this, is, is the good news good to you? Is the good news truly good to us this morning? Because if the good news is not good to me or not good to you, then we're going to miss it and it will color and it will challenge and change how we share the gospel. Folks, the news, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save us and to transform us and to change us is the best news possible because I know you guys and you know me and you know that this is something we desperately, desperately need. It's the best news ever. We get so stuck in our religious ideals or so stuck in our Christian perspective or, or in this or that or our lives are so you know categorized by, well, this is church time, this is work time, this is family, this is whatever else. When it doesn't all come back and say, Jesus, my entire life and my existence hinges and starts on you transforming me and me going out in power. It's change how we do things, and we're going to miss such an amazing, powerful thing. We have a responsibility to do four things to go, to live, to tell, and to give. What does go look like? What go looks like in our church is that we have a team of young people going this summer to go to serve in Italy. That's going, that's exciting. That's what they're going to go and tell about Jesus in the, another part of the world. That's wonderful. I want to see all of us have that kind of chance. In the coming years, I want to see our church embark on and go and, and missions and serve in other parts of the world. Even more than that, I'm praying that people from our church will go and sell all they have here in this country and go and serve in their part of the world and, 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 and do missions full time. I believe God can call people to that kind of life. But not for all of us, but we can all go at some point. Number two today, we can live, we can tell. Is the good news good to you? Have you been so transformed by God's power, you've come to realize without him you'd be a mess? Have you been transformed so you think like Jesus thinks? Have you been put yourself in a place of humility where you recognize and see your words aren't the answer? First, what's first is the Holy Spirit working in you and working through you. You're not this morning yet. I want to encourage you to stop. Take time out of your life and out of your days. Here on now, and say, God, I want you to have more of me. And mean it. And say, God, that's what I want with all my life and all my heart. Lord, I want you to have more of me. And then do what God called Jonah to do when God calls you to obey. If you will do those things, you will see God transform and change your life radically. To pray, to ask him to do those things, but then to to, to listen to his voice. To stop and to say, God, I, I, I want you to change me. Lord, make me. I'll obey. I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's the life of a person that's been transformed. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know all there is to know about God. What you want to have to do this morning... To have a heart that says, God, I want to go and I want to live and I want to tell about how Jesus, you have transformed me and my life. Let's talk about Jesus, church. Let's be a church that talks about Jesus, not the, tr- not the Christian perspective, not a set of ideals or rules or whatever. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's be an Acts chapter 1 verse 8 church. Let's be a church that says, Lord, I want to live. I want to hear your voice. I want to be transformed. I want to be imbued by your power. And then I want to be a witness as a result of that. That's what I want to be this morning. I have a word from Psalm 3739, 39, it says, Salvation comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from us, it comes from the Lord. And the last one today is give. And I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. No one looking around today. We can give. Some of us are not gonna go, some of us are not gonna be able to do those things. All of us have been been called to live and to tell, and all of us have been called to give something. Today next to you this there is a car it's called my, my my mission's faith promise. Now I'll make a clear this morning, two things clear this is not your tithe and this is not obligation this morning okay, those two things, make that clear, you are not obligated to do this this morning, I don't want you to do this you say, oh I have to do this, no don't do it then What I want to encourage you today is this, is pray and say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And so I'm committing to giving something to help to see that your word goes forth and that what you're doing in this world is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I am going to give. Church, this is my vision for this Church. I want to see us get to the place where we are financially stable. We can, we can give 10% of our normal weekly income to go, into our, to go into a singer's account and use that money to bless other churches and ministries around the world. I want to see us plant churches. I want to see us plant churches here in America. I'm trusting God for a church in Clearwater. I want you to know that. I've been praying since day one that God would call us and use us to plant a church in Clearwater. I think we can do that. I want to see the come come when our church, you say, well, our church? No way, our church is too small or whatever else. Let's not think like that. God's called us bigger. I want to see us live like that. We can give. I want to encourage you to pray this morning and say, God, what is it this morning that you want me to give to see your message, your good news be shared around the world?